Welcome to this Business of Music and Poetry podcast, where the life of a creative meets the real world. I'm Michael Amade, musician, poet, and author of more books than I should mention. I also host other podcasts and shows such as The Michael Amade Show, Inside Show Business, and World Poetry Open Mic. My new mission is to create new worlds of fiction through podcasts with my company, Creature and Ghost. My collaborator and co-conspirator in this project is none other than Clifford Brooks. Cliff is the founder of Athena Departs and The Draw, Broken Eyes, and Whirling Metaphysics. He's the founder of the Southern Collective Experience and is a creative force behind the Blue Mountain Review. He is also the host of Dante's Old South on NPR. Our guest today is Grammy-nominated producer and drummer Adam Deitch. While most other kids were interested in being like Mike, Adam Deitch was more interested in being like Quincy. Adam began composing around the age of 11 in his dad's basement studio. Pretty soon, artists in the neighborhood came knocking. Now, years later, Adam Deitch's career has crossed genres and he plays the role of both producer and drummer. Adam has produced records for such luminaries as 50 Cent and Red Man. He's also done major session work on drums for artists including Justin Timberlake, Daniel Bedingfield, Anthony Hamilton, DJ Quick, Wyclef Jean, and the Fugees. Adam has toured the world and recorded as a member of the Grammy-nominated John Schofield band, Pretty Lights, The Average White Band, The Fugees, Wyclef Jean, and his own Break Science and Lettuce. This is a fantastic conversation about being a creative person, playing the long game, and we hope you enjoy. Without any further ado, here is our interview with Adam Deitch. And just as a quick aside, we are joined in this interview by the music editor of the Blue Mountain Review, Mr. Andy Whitehorn. Tonight on This Business of Music and Poetry, we have the sultan of drums, the father of funk, and a true renaissance man that keeps the beat with the band Lettuce, Mr. Adam Dice. Adam, how you doing, boss? Well, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, just uh, resting up from on tour. I'm not sure if I'm a father of funk, but uh, I'm definitely... Uh, old enough to be a father but uh <laughs> i'm more i would call myself a nephew of the funk i'm a nephew i'll do it i'll take you it know, it seems a little far from uh, me i mean not or the daddy of funk we'll just do that something like that yeah, i'm gonna go with james brown and bootsy and maceo are the fathers of funk uh-huh. and i would I, i'm like a nephew or 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 like a uh, you know it's definitely a hierarchy and, and lettuce is at the bottom and uh we are happy to continue the legacy that James Brown and, and Maceo and, and we, you know, and the meters and those guys that keep it going, you know, keep that, keep that funk alive. You know what I mean? Uh, it was Andy that actually, uh, that introduced me to lettuce. Uh, and when I listened to it, um, the influences there are, are they're, they're varied and there's this brilliant way in which all of your sounds overlap with one another you know there's a there's a grace to it that shows practice but also you know it, you can tell that you guys sat down and studied music to make that happen you know it's so i always like the question um and as far as performing and, and the talent of music what do you think the the equation is to uh, natural talent versus sitting down and actually learning the like the music theory of the whole process um there's, na- there's nature and there's nurture, uh-huh. you know, you gotta have, you gotta have the nature, you know, the natural groove, uh-huh. 
And, you know, the ability to go one, two, three, four, keep that beat right there. You know, that's uh-huh. they, that's the most, you know, important essence of of rhythm, you know, of music is rhythm to me. Mm-hmm. And all this, the, the six guys in Lettuce, we are rhythm first, you know, mm-hmm. being able to just have a solid, nice time. You know, and the yeah. notes and the theory was never the focus of our, 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 our whole thing was rhythm and time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and as Bootsy says, the one, which is when you land after that one, two, three, four, you come back to that one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's a James Brown concept of funk is the one. Mm-hmm. So we're not big theory guys. Um, a couple of us can get around there you know maybe get some jazz stuff like benny uh our trumpet mm. players mr i can play jazz and funk you know <laughs> uh he's got the the serious chops for that but we're you know we all kind of love to groove and, and play and play funk and none of that really is big on theory and big on uh you know reading music we're kind of just all work you know work by ear and we take a rhythm first approach Rhythm being such a, a, a the central piece of music, you know, I, every time I try to explain that to somebody too, and say like, I can play the rhythm of Beethoven's fifth and you could probably get it. If I just play the tones without the rhythm, you'll have no idea what I'm doing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, you could, cl- I could clap all the lettuce melodies, you know, t- to our fans and they would go, Oh, that's that one. You know, because they all have specific rhythms, all the melodies and the guitar parts have rhythms, the bass parts have, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a drum circle where everybody really knows the parts like, you know, and everyone has to play each, you have the cowbell, you have the shaker, you have the conga and all our parts work together to create one big rhythm. You know, and that—that's how we do it. Well, and, and Shmeen said uh, that he—he he corrected at the very beginning of his interview. Uh, Cliff said, "Call him lead guitarist." He says, "Actually, I'm the rhythm guitarist." Yeah, I know he oh, said yeah. that before too. Uh, yeah. that it just shows kind of like the obsession with rhythm that that lettuce kind of carries forward. Um, yeah, it's an obsession. It's a total obsession. Yeah. Now, where did that obsession with rhythm start for you? I mean, presumably before Berkeley. Uh, you yeah, know. yeah. My my <laughs> both my parents are drummers. My great uncle's a drummer. My my mother's grandfather was a drummer. Um, it's it's generational in my family as far as rhythm is concerned. Um, my mom and dad both play other instruments. They play keyboards, guitar, bass, sing, and uh. They do all that stuff, but they're drummers first. And I was raised in a drum house with two drum sets in the basement and, you know, conga drums everywhere. Uh, I don't know if you can see those, but, you know, oh, actually, yeah, I don't know. I have the the background, but yeah, just drums all over the house. And so that's just kind of how it started. And all the other guys just have this natural affinity for rhythm and, and, and we all came together and, and, it just worked. I think that when I listen to it, it's, 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 there is a, a, like a symphony quality to it. Like with the layers of it that all overlap. It's, it, mm. it, there's a, there's, I can't remember who said it, I don't, 
But mm-hmm. uh, the, the idea that the the truth of music is in the silence between the notes, the the, the yeah. space you give it to breathe, mm-hmm. um, and in 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 poetry as well. When you when you when you flow that together, you, you and you you know you have the subtext in the main part of the poem. Um, there's that same kind of overlapping in the grace of it that's deceptively easy, and it's actually. It's hard um, and that you have to kind of time it out, but there's really, like I said, a nat- you have to have that natural knack, you know, and, and it, it sounds like with you, um, when you came into the drum world, I know that, it, was there any pressure on you to do drums? Did you know that's always what you wanted to do? <laughs> um, I mean, when I went to Berkeley, when I, you know, that five-week program where we met, I didn't want to be a musician at that time. I was a punk, punky skateboarder. And uh, I wanted to go to art school and work for Marvel and and do animation and drawing and stuff like that. I was into art, you know, and mm-hmm. even though I had played drums since I was two years old, by the time I got 16, I was bored of drums and I was bored of music. And uh, I didn't really have any ho- homies to play with, you know, my age that were fun. Mm-hmm. So by meeting the guys when I was 16, that's when I was like, oh, maybe music is the move, you know, maybe that mm-hmm. is the, the way to go. So, you know, they're responsible for sort of a, a career change or a life direction change in, in my life, you know, where I would have been fine going to art school with, with my friend and just going into the animation thing, you know, because I, I, I hadn't met people to play with and to ma- experience the magic of making music with with a good friend group, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, once I experienced that, I was like, okay, that, that I want to do this, you know, and, and it reinvigorated the love of drumming and, and, and playing funk music with, with, with people. Scooping back around. I didn't know this. Um, I'm a, I am a diehard. I was a diehard skater until I went up, ran over my thumb and I oh. immediately, yeah, you know, yeah, it was not fun. And then uh, I'm a huge, so I love comic books. And so again, now we're family. We have to hang out though by law. I think it's the constitution, but Uh, are you still into that at all? Do do, do you do, do you draw it? I mean, yeah, I I haven't drawn in a while. All my friends and my parents, my close friends know that that was my thing. Like all I did was draw and I was big X-Men guy, big, you know, Spider-Man, like Hulk, you know, big DC. I, I, you know, I I like Batman too. And, and, yeah, I just wanted to draw that stuff. I wanted to be part of the whole, this whole thing happening now with these giant blockbuster movies with, you know, like, you know, that was a dream when we were coming up reading exactly. books, you know? And I, so yeah. I'm not 12 years old. We'll have to wait to get that last ticket. I ain't proud of it, but I've done that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm glad that I, I went into the music thing, but yeah, that was a whole other passion of mine, you know, for sure. Now, one thing that uh, that I really noticed, you know, as a as a uh, musician myself, is you know, there's there's so many people who claim they want to you know make a make a living and and make music their profession. I think that's you know, quality music is a huge piece of that, obviously, in, in the craft. But the other part of that is the ability to build relationships, the ability to find multiple you know revenue streams, ways to make it possible to make a living there. And it, and you seem like an example of someone who's always kind of finding a new a new angle that you can kind of give music to the world and in in different useful ways could you speak speak a little bit to the idea of like i don't want to use the word hustle because that's kind of an overused word but like just kind of really taking on the uh, the idea of music as a vocation as a business you seem like a good example of that i i'm the only one um 
my friends that have never had a regular job. <laughs> I've never, uh, I've never done anything besides play gigs. Even in eighth, ninth, 10th grade, I had three, four, five gigs a week. Um, whether it was at the local Middle Eastern restaurant where the guy used to let us play jazz on Wednesdays. And, and then I had a, a church. I played in a gospel church every Sunday. Um, I had a rock band that we used to rehearse three nights a week and play at the local bars, you know? So yeah, music for me was a full-time thing. And um, luckily I had the cheat code because I had two parents that were professional musicians that gigged five, six nights a week and they took it seriously and it was a job. Mm -hmm. And they, when they weren't performing, they were in the house learning new songs. And, uh, I would watch them learn songs and it was, it was a job because they were, they were tired, but they still had to learn these songs for this wedding or this, this gig or whatever. So, but I, I saw that if you want to have music as your profession, you have to treat it as a job, you know, and I didn't have to learn the hard way by, you know, having to get a job that wasn't music. And so I'd appreciate music. You know, it was like, nope, I don't want a regular job. And I wanted to, I want to treat music as something that I do all the time. And then I wake up and breathe it and make calls and make things happen. Mm -hmm. So that's just the way I approached music from day one, thanks to my parents. And I never got, I never stopped that mindset and I've never had to have a real job yet. So, that's fantastic. Right. Man. That's fantastic. <laughs> so that's the most uplifting thing I've ever heard. <laughs> there, is, uh, there is hope, you know. <laughs> so so uh, so so you you're you know so let's let's fast forward. You know, lettuce. You're you're playing these different groups and everything. How did you make a move into uh, producing? Now, obviously, there are adjacent skills, and and there's the music side, but there's also the production side. How did mm -hmm. you kind of make that uh, make that jump into producing other artists as well? Right on. Um, I've, I've always grown up, you know, I grew up, you know, again, the beginning of the hip hop era, you know, late eighties, early nineties that I was obsessed with making beats as they say. <laughs> and, um, my dad has a, has a full studio downstairs with synthesizers and samplers and drum machines. And, you know, uh, and I just learned how to use that stuff in my dad's basement because it was fun. And as long as I remember to turn it off, you know, and shut the lights off in the studio, I, then I would be able to use it the next day. If not, he'd lock it with a padlock, you know, and uh, yeah. teach me a lesson, you know, treat this gear with care and, you know, and, and have respect for it. It's expensive. And uh, so he let me use the shit. And by the time it was like, okay, make beats for this, for your friend who raps, I knew how to do it a little bit. I knew how to, make that happen. And then I started working with Eric Krasno, who I started the band with, you know, um, uh, uh, also with the other guys. And we got a studio together and we started slanging beats to different rappers, you know, and we got Talib Kweli and, uh, Farrell Monch. And, and then 50 cent was the big one. And then yeah. we took that money and got a bigger studio. And, and, and then we kept, we, I was really going for the, super producer thing you know okay i didn't know if lettuce was going to be like this i didn't know if it would be a worldwide touring machine with a tour bus and all you know so it was it was kind of like the production was like oh maybe i can do this 
And then, you know, that's really hard because, you know, selling tracks to rappers is, is not, you know, you might get a chunk of money and then it might be six months before the next chunk of money comes in. So right. uh, it's kind of uneven with, you know, financially with that, you know, unless you're really keyed into that scene and, and it's really hard and much respect to anyone that gets to do that full time and be a producer for rappers and singers. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, I learned a lot about that skill set and what to do with that and, and had some success, but then let us started a tour and I was like, Oh, this is a, this is kind of like steady work. <laughs> you know, like when you're yeah. touring and you, and you're part of the band and, and you know, you, you own the company, you're part owner of the company. It's, uh, it, it, it can be more steady and, and more regular, which, which is why I'm still touring today and producing here and there when I get a chance. And when something works out with an artist, I love, I'll produce your record. We'll have fun. We'll make, we'll make it fun, you know, It'll be a great record. But, uh, the whole, like, you got to give us a hit for this hit artist and, if you don't give us a hit, uh, we got to go for somewhere else. And, you know, we're going to Suge Knight you is what's going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, worked, I literally worked for Suge Knight's brother who looks That's like awesome. And he's scary. And it was the scariest session I ever had with this, this dude who had like 15 bullet holes like in his chest from uh, a couple of years back, you know. And, you know, it was a scary session, you know. So I'm glad I play drums in a funk band now. Like <laughs> <laughs> much fewer bullet holes yeah yeah no no, bullet, no more bullet hole sessions i'm good do you do you find that you know you've got the, the mainstay and uh it's it, you know there's this whole idea that you can't serve two masters which i think is lazy philosophy <laughs> so it, so again it's like you have the funk thing going and then do these side projects do they does it help to like kind of take you away to to focus on something different that you bring back as inspiration maybe to plug in the lettuce yeah, I think it helps me really appreciate what lettuce is because all you know the side projects I got a couple different things, um, you know butterfly quintet, yeah. uh, break science, um, uh, nightcap, my new thing, Doctor Claw, like bands like that. They all play different styles, like more you know each one's got its own thing, and mm-hmm. uh, and instead of me forcing all these styles on some lettuce, I can let it, let lettuce be pure and be what mm-hmm. it is and just be funky and have that original essence of what it ca- had. And the other projects I can get jazzier or do, you know, some fusion or some odd time signatures or that kind of stuff or, you know, and, and for new, you know, the, the Dr. Claw thing is like new Orleans funk, like re- really centered on the new Orleans thing. And, so, you know, each, each product that I have focuses on a different area of the music. So, you know, and it helps let us stay fresh and, and almost like pure and un, unmessed with. Mm-hmm. It, and it, again, the, the, the business part of this is that, you know, people, people have a very one-sided idea of uh, how you become an artist and maintain that, that, that vocation. Uh, and it's not just one simple rock and roll dream it, it is the layers of it the diversification of it the and the, how you can constantly have the education in that too you know um mm-hmm. and it's part of part of the education you know again in the outside inspiration what bands are you into right now that 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 are juicing you up or books that you're reading that are really you know clicking as far as uh, in relation to what in relation to the business of music uh yes and uh and even just like bands that you're listening to now that you just found that you wish more people knew about 
I mean, a, a big inspiration right now is Krungbin. Um, I don't know if y'all are hip to Krungbin. Yeah, yeah. man. That's I love phenomenal. you, dude. Yeah. And, you know, to the point I reached out to the drummer and I was just like, man, I don't know you, bro, but you are amazing. And he plays so simple and beautiful. And and then we became friends through Instagram and now we're buddies and we talk and everything. And, yeah, shout out to DJ from Krungbin. Uh, um, you know, they're playing instrumental funky stuff and they mm-hmm. just went through the roof, you know, and. uh and, you know, and we got love for our Wolfpack homies, the, the little guys, you know, that mm-hmm. they came in really respectful and did like two gigs opening up for us before they went sky high to Madison Square Garden level, you know. And uh, so we love those guys. We love Ghost Note. We love oh, you know, yeah. the, 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 the snarky, the whole snarky umbrella of things, you know, like those are our buddies. Those are like our little brothers from, you know, from uh texas you know they're like the texas boys you know and um they're just absolutely phenomenal butcher brown from uh uh richmond virginia uh they're incredible and also you know the ogs tower power is still around um big influence you know huge influence on what we do right now we have some gigs with them with, with, with the denver we're playing red rocks with them and the denver symphony Oh, which is going to be crazy. So from yeah, the young guys, man. yeah. So the, the the young guys from the new guys to to Earth, Wind, and Fire still around, still inspiring us. You know, uh, you know, so many of the great Stevie Wonder still doing it. You know, mm-hmm. so the, these are the, the, the this is the makeup of of you know, and we got to link with Bootsy recently, which is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us as a band. Because Bootsy is, you know, he was the the heir to the Godfather, to heir, the heir to James Brown, you know, and he's uh, treating us like we're the young guys now, and he's Mister Brown in in a way, but he's yeah. so sweet and nice, and James Brown was so like you know tough <laughs> on that, you know, but he's he's a sweetheart, and so yeah, these are the guys that that inspire us to do better and to be better and. And that you can have longevity in this business mm-hmm. and, and play the music you love. As far as uh, one of the projects that you're working with that I'm a big fan of is WRD, cool. uh, the trio. Uh, almost forgot about that one. That's yeah, and it doesn't have a ton of followers on Spotify. It's on my goal to make everybody listen to this because it's, <laughs> it's such a, a, a combination between classic jazz and where we are now. And mm-hmm. uh, I just really love the, the simplicity of just the trio. Yeah. How, did you, how did you guys decide to do that? Um, well, I've been playing with Robert Walter from Grey Boy All Stars, who are another band that we just we wouldn't exist without those guys with Carl yeah. Denson, and they're our big brothers that we brought our demo tape to when we were seventeen and begged them to listen to us. We snuck backstage, and they were like, "Who? What are you kids doing back here?" You know, like, <laughs> you know so. We bothered the shit out of them in our early years, and, um, and they finally listened to us and said, "Those guys aren't aren't bad. They they're not half bad, you know." And uh, so Robert was the original. You know, he wrote all those tunes with Gray Boy. You know, him and Carl were the driving creative Absolutely. forces of that. You know, and so you know, g- getting to know Robert. I've done tons of projects with Robert since the early two thousands, and. And then Eddie, you know, popped on the scene, you know, Eddie's 
you know, been around for a long time, but, you know, you know, me and Robert got hip to Eddie and the new master sounds and, and Eddie's got this whole label thing. That's great. And, and, uh, he's also has a way of recording music that, to make it sound like it was recorded in 1968, even though we're recording in 20, you know, 2020 and shit. So his, you know, his recording aesthetic to make the, the record sound old. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we all love Greg green and, and Lou Donaldson and, and Idris Muhammad and all these like late sixties, you know, mid sixties, late sixties jazz funk, you know, and, and that was the angle we took with the WRD. Terrific. It's, it's, it's great work. Really enjoy Thanks, it. Man. Glad you dug it. Man. Now my, my, my key question of this entire interview is um, how does the music of Taylor Swift fit into your sound? <laughs> Taylor Swift, uh, you know, you'd have to ask Kanye that. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, good answer on that one. <laughs> the thing, like, the thing that radiates off of you, and it, it, it was me too. There's no ego, dude. It's like the, the whole. It's, it's what makes it work. You know, it, the ego chops you off from everybody, and nobody wants to work oh, with dumb. you, man. It, how do you maintain that zen, dude? How, 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 how do you do that? It's a good question. I mean, the, the ego will mess up your music. You know, mm -hmm. besides make your friends hate you, make your fans hate you, mm -hmm. but it also messes up the music when you're going. Listen to me. <laughs> I'm playing real loud. Listen to me. You know, like, um, you know, the band is based off the, Hey, we're all in this together. You know, we're all, let's all be a part of this thing, you know? And so the, the ego has no place in the music. It has no place in your relationships with your friends or your family. And, and, and it has, it'll ruin your relationship with your fans. So it's like, why have an ego? What is the point of that? Just know you're doing the right thing. You know, just be good to people. <laughs> i guess it's fair to wind then wind down then to say with lettuce having a new album coming out in june can you talk about that and and what's what's gone into that and what what we should expect to hear absolutely we're very excited this is our best work yet let us unify is the album and um lord knows we all need to unify a little bit after uh, the last couple of years and all the craziness amen and um so yeah we actually had time to write in peace you know the pandemic turned out to be a hey adam you got a lot of time to sit in your house and write lettuce tunes you know mm -hmm. so uh that that's what that meant for me and and i wrote about 30 songs and the guys picked about 10 of them you know and plus they wrote some tunes for it they had some time to write and uh so yeah, this is our best record yet. We got together. We had no hangers on at the, at the studio, no distractions, full COVID lockdown. And it was the best recording session we ever had. It's back to the way it started, right? You're, you're yeah. just you and the sound. Just us and you know, the band and a good studio and a good engineer and no one allowed around us, you know? Fantastic. Yeah. You know, so that was great. And, and so now we have a great record, man. So we're just excited for y'all to hear it. So will you need another pandemic before you write the next album? Is that how the groove is going to go? Or? Yes, that's how it works. If you can somehow <laughs> arrange that, if you can arrange that, would be great. <laughs> now, uh, Adam, one, uh, you know, I'm watching our time here. So, so um, kind of the question we like to ask for, you know, we have a lot of aspiring musicians and, and creative people who listen to this podcast. And mm -hmm. I always want to ask, um, you know, if you could impart any piece of advice to people who are wanting to make their art or their music, their vocation, uh, what would you, uh, what would you tell them? Um, 
find like-minded people that are motivated by the music itself. They're not motivated by the party, not motivated by whatever else uh, vices that are involved around the music and make sure they're into the music first. And, and so that's important to have your team, um, you know, play your best every night, play like it's Madison square garden every night, whether you're playing in front of 14 people or whatever, you know, give it your all. You never know who's going to be there. A, a booking agent could be there, a manager that wants to check you guys out, a label, you know, play like it's your heart out every night. Um, yeah, like stay away from the vices as best you can. Try to eat healthy, drink water, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and learn your craft, man. Learn, listen to the records. The records are the key. You know, you, you could say, I'm going to do my own thing with this music and that's cool. But you got to know what the thing was to do mm -hmm. your own thing. Mm -hmm. So you got to study the thing that you want to do. If you if you want to play, you know, you know, whatever music, you got to dig and see and do the research. And we all are into the research. We're into the who played guitar on this one James Brown record. You know, like oh, who was that? That you know, who was Bootsy's? fifth drummer you know like all, you know like all, all those little things like and you find these guys that are just unbelievable musicians that aren't really household names you know people always say who's your favorite drummer and they they're really pulling for me to say john bottom or yeah. neil perk you know and it's like no nah, man i'm going clyde stellafield and john jabo starks from you know from james brown i'm going you know their household funk drummer you know names but the basic drumming world, I feel like they don't even understand the importance of these these guys yet. So, you know, we're just out to, to spread the word about the lesser known guys and, and let people know that that this music is for real, you know, and that we're here to stay. Both Cliff and I want to say thank you for spending your time with us. And we want to say thank you to Adam Deitch for a fantastic interview. You can find him at DeitchBeatsDon'tQuit.com, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'd like to offer a sincere thank you to the editor of the Blue Mountain Review, Mr. Andy Whitehorn, for your camaraderie and your help with this interview. You can find Cliff Brooks at CliffBrooks.com or at SouthernCollectiveExperience.com. You can find myself at MikeLamade.com, World Poetry Open Mike com or worldpoetrymagazine.com or you can come out and see me at the Flying W Ranch in Colorado Springs, Colorado during the summer. Until next time, remember to be yourself. The world needs your authenticity. Do the hard work and conquer your obstacles creatively. Remember to follow your heart for it's easy to lose your head in this business of music and poetry.